0: Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternadon, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful
1: to you. This podcast is part one of a two-part series. Today, the focus is on the financial markets, given the severe banking issues we are witnessing. Our part two forecast, or podcast, in two weeks, focuses on U.S. government spending, which is overwhelming, both the Fed and our financial markets in league with an upcoming major trend change, which we expect to be quite visible in the fall and the winter. And that change involves efforts to dethrone the dollar as the world's only reserve currency. And I'll give you a hint on part two on the dollar we've mentioned the shanghai cooperation organization before but now their members are aligning for an august meeting to replace much of their dollar trade settlements particularly the trade settlements among china russia india brazil and even south africa so stay tuned an important new financial trend is in the making and the long-term impact promises to catch all of our attentions let's start today's part one The recent bank failures will have a significant impact on the economy beyond just the real estate and venture capital segments. Bank lending is becoming much more difficult to obtain not only for home mortgages and qualifications, but for trillions of dollars of commercial real estate financing that's really refinancing coming up over the next few years. As we've discussed previously, Many banks and other financial firms are sitting with substantial unrecognized losses due to the substantial declines in bond prices as interest rates have been ramping up. The Fed is bailing out the banks by lending these firms money based on the face values instead of the market value of the bonds, and that has added almost a half a trillion dollars of these types of assets to the Fed's balance sheet just in the past few weeks. We are now suspecting the Fed will pause its quantitative tightening, but will continue its buying of U.S. government debt and its lending to banks. The banking crisis may be averted for at least the next several months but almost all so-called experts are now thinking an official recession is here keep in mind the time lag between when a recession officially starts and when it is officially classified as a recession that timeline is typically eight to nine months so don't expect a recession to be defined as such until early next year that's not so useful in helping prepare, right? This is why we've been trying to specifically prepare you for recessionary times ahead of time and even during the recession. A growing number of prominent investors are preparing for another round of bond and stock sell-offs starting really soon, and I'll get into some of the reasons why. Today, we will discuss recessionary implications for stocks and begin to prepare you for a difficult rest of the year for the U.S. dollar and importantly the fallout from what I'm going to talk about in part two. And that alone, and by itself, will further impact the U.S. stock, bond, and real estate markets, and not in a positive way. But treat this Part 2 reference as an early warning, as implications of dollar replacement plans will evolve, but the psychology of holding the dollar may start to change in a measurable way by fall and winter. Let's start with the banking issues that were introduced to us in March. Billionaire investor Ray Dalio recently warned in his newsletter that Silicon Valley Bank's failure is a canary in the coal mine moment for the global economy. He goes on to say, it is classic that coming out of an extended period of very low interest rates and abundant credit, there is an enormous amount of leveraged long-term holdings of assets that are going down. This bank failure is a canary in the coal mine. He's speaking of Silicon Valley Bank. It's an early sign dynamic that will have knock-on effects in the venture world, that's venture capital, and well beyond it. It's a very classic event, and that very classic bubble bursting part of the short-term debt cycle. It's likely that this bank failure will be followed by many more problems before the contraction phase of the cycle runs its course. Looking ahead, it's likely that it won't be long before the problems pick up, which will eventually lead the Federal Reserve and bank regulators to act in a protective way. So, according to Ray Dalio, he thinks we're approaching the turning point from the strong tightening phase in the contraction phase of the short-term credit or debt cycle. The Bridgewater Associates founder also said that the event, Silicon Valley Bank, was an early sign of knock-on effects in the venture world and beyond as regulators stepped in to close down the bank amid a wider crisis in the U.S. banking system. Other billionaires, including BlackRock's CEO Larry Fink and Pershing Square Capital Management's founder Bill Ackman, have also warned of further bank failures and tighter capital standards as a result of the situation. Moreover, Moody's recently downgraded its U.S. banking system outlook, stating, quote, Pandemic physical stimulus, along with more than a decade of ultra-low interest rates and quantitative easing, resulted in significant excess deposit creation in the U.S. banking sector. This has given rise to asset liability management challenges, with some banks having invested excess deposits in longer-dated fixed-income securities that have lost value during the rapid rise this year in U.S. interest rates. What does this mean for stocks? We'll focus on the S&P 500 index as this index includes the largest US corporations and has the highest impact on pretty much all financial market pricing. The immediate good news is that only about 12 to 13% of the index is in the financial sector. About 28% is in the technology sector, 15% in healthcare, 10% in consumer cyclical, and so forth. In addition, none of the index's top 10 holdings. And these top 10 holdings, as we discussed before, make up 27% of the total S&P 500 portfolio. None of the top 10 holdings are in the banking sector. And as a review because we talked about the fang stocks and these holdings frequently in the past, we're talking in this concentrated area of about Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Nvidia, Alphabet, Berkshire Hathaway, Tesla, Meta or Facebook, United Health Group and that total of 10 makes up 27% of the S&P 500. In that sense, the S&P 500 is well insulated against the immediate fallout from the banking crisis, and its top holdings are considered safe havens by many investors given their powerful moats and cash-rich balance sheets. And over the past several months, while the S&P 500 has pretty much treaded water, or it's down about 1%, The regional banking exchange traded fund index is down 31%. But first and foremost, while a quarter of the S&P 500 portfolio is allocated to large and mega cap tech, they should be relatively immune to the headwinds of the banks thanks to their cash-rich balance sheets. But large swaths of corporate America are likely going to be facing major challenges due to the tighter lending standards and higher interest rates for a much longer period than this year. However, with respect to the large companies we were just talking about, these companies are facing new and larger headwinds. For example, the Fang stock revenue for the growth for the first time in almost 20 years has gone below zero. That is the year-over-year change in revenue growth of these Fang companies the large companies has gone to a zero revenue growth and in the early part of the 2000s this group grew 60 to 70% a year and around 2010 11 they were even growing 40 to 50% a year and last year they were between 30 and 40% a year but they've dropped substantially straight down to below zero Add to that the high price earnings ratios of these stocks, which range from the high 20s to the low 30s. And add to that the present value of the future earnings of these companies due to the higher interest rates. So all in all, the stocks of these companies have declined a bit, but they still are very high historical price-earnings ratios, and the high interest rates, in my view, have not been factored into the valuation of these stocks. My last comment on the 10 largest stocks is not only has the revenue dropped below zero, but their free cash flow growth, it's dropped to a negative 30%. The Future issues of these companies, in my opinion, have yet to be acknowledged by the stock market. And when it does become acknowledged, it's going to have a very large impact on not only these stock prices, but the entire S&P 500 index because they're so important in the total. Let's switch temporarily to real estate. Commercial real estate over the next three or four years needs to refinance about $5 trillion of debt. And a lot of this debt has been incurred at really low interest rates over the past three to five, even 10 years. And about $5 trillion of this debt, which is the size of about half of the United States residential mortgage market. So we're talking about a very large number, will need to be refinanced. And obviously, refinancing commercial real estate is getting to be very difficult. And let me give you an example of just how difficult due to price declines in commercial real estate. Last week, the Union Bank named building in downtown LA, wasn't owned by Union Bank, but it's the Union Bank named building, sold. And this is about a 40-story building with about 700,000 square feet of office space. The building sold between 105 and 110 million dollars. Now, that may not mean anything to you unless you are following the commercial real estate market. But one area I would point out that this building, it sold for about $140 a square foot, which I think most would agree that replacement value of the skyscrapers in downtown LA are closer to $500 a square foot, if not more than that. But this building, which was recently renovated, had been acquired in 2010 for $208 million, and the acquirer completed $20 million of renovation. So that building had $228 million into it in the early part of the 2010-2015 era. Prior to COVID, there was a deal to buy the property for $280 million, sounds reasonable right? and reports of most recent sales efforts started 2021 and the 280 million dollar price had dropped to a trade valued a trade for other buildings valued at 250 million dollars. then in May 2022 a buyer put the contract together to buy the building for 165 million dollars but kept deferring, closing and so forth. And ultimately, the buying group was set to close for $155 million. And that was October of last year, but they continued to drag out the process. So we go back now to where the building was purchased between 105 and $110 million, or approximately a 50% discount from the pricing just pre-COVID. And approximately a 50% discount from what the property had sold for with renovations in the 2010-2015 period. This is a real example in a formerly hot metro market, downtown Los Angeles, for hot real estate. Prior to the pandemic, and since many buyers of commercial real estate don't have a 50% equity component, but they didn't put 50% down to buy the property, refinancing, if this is an indication, I think it is refinancing, is going to be coming up for a lot of commercial properties in the magnitude of $5 trillion, and... Banks are becoming very lending reluctant for reasons we talked about and you're aware of. This is going to be a very difficult period for commercial real estate, in my view. Let's move back to today's stagflation, referring to a somewhat similar period during the mid-1970s. And I'm just bringing this up as a thought starter, and this is just an example of what could happen because it did happen. If we go back into the 1970-71 period, the 10-year bond was just over 5%, which it was fairly recently. Now it's close to 4%. But the 10-year bond at that time was about 5%. It traveled from 5% up to about 8% which again is not a crazy number, but it went from 5% to 8% by 1974, 1975. So a period of about four years. And during that period, the Standard & Poor's 500 Index dropped approximately in half. And that is just a snippet of history. I invite you to go back and look at that period. But as bond yields go up, as interest rates go up, as the discount factor for future corporate earnings of public stocks is a higher discount factor, the present value of the stocks themselves become much lower. And this is a real live example. But for now, we will close today's podcast on that thought because our next podcast, we're going to focus on other major issues that are going to be changing some long-term trends, including the Federal Reserve having to buy much larger amounts of federal debt to shore up major changes, increases in government spending, which I'm not so sure many people are aware of, and I'll, I'll just give you a hint at one of them right now. But Social Security and retirement payments increased 33% from 2019 to now, increased by a third. I have other information I'd like to share with you about how out of control government spending has gone. And what that implies for the Federal Reserve. And then we're going to bring in the discussion about a major threat to the long term reserve currency, the dollar, which is being put together by the BRIC countries and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. I think you're going to be quite surprised about how much progress has been made to dethrone the dollar, but I'll leave that until next time. For now, Be careful. As I mentioned before, be conservative. Don't take financial risks and build up cash. Until next time.
0: Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director, Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.